Jesus, we're so thankful for today. Lord, it's just it's so humbling just to be in your presence and to, just to feel you calm, to feel the, the breath of angels among us and just the anointing that's here. Lord, we just ask right now that, that you would come and, and tune our hearts to you and tune our hearts to your word. Lord, I pray for your anointing and your wisdom as we talk about Nehemiah today. I just pray that it will have great impact in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you haven't turned there, if you have a Bible, if not, you can get your pew Bible. I don't think there's any of those around. Sorry about that. That was my early, early days of that. But it's a good thing to have. We just, since we set up and, and, and tear down every week, we wouldn't have them to bring out. And, and, but maybe it would be good to have some there. But today we're going to be talking about Nehemiah, Lessons in Spiritual Warfare. And um, I'm not so much looking at this that I like a, a spiritual warfare, we're going to war against this or that or anything like that. I'm really looking at this more as you could kind of title it instead of um, Nehemiah Lessons in Spiritual Warfare, it could be Nehemiah Lessons in Conflicts. Anybody ever have conflicts? You know, have you people are either the most holy in the world or you're not telling the truth. I don't know there. But we have conflicts, we have irritations, we have things that come our way. And so what we're going to do is we, as we look at the book of Nehemiah today and, and reference some others, um, we're just going to look at, at situations that they went through and uh, that we have from Scripture and, and how uh, Nehemiah especially uh, took the children of Israel through that to accomplish what they had and maybe just some practical applications about how we can use this in our own life. Um, as you probably noticed, there's no fill in the blanks today, but you have instead fill in the pages. Okay, so you've got... You've got the actual outline. The only difference between this one and mine is this print is smaller, as I've got my notes on it. But um, so today, just I gave Rodney a break on this, and uh, and I could just this is a lot easier just to type out. So uh, you can just use the blank places and write anything you want there uh, to help do, deal with that. All right, Nehemiah lessons in spiritual warfare. Let me just give you, an, and I don't want this to sound like I'm in school teaching a, a class or anything. But um, because it is by nature a little bit academic, but I really want to ask the Lord's anointing on this that we can use what's happening here in a historical sense and how it applies to us as well. So in looking at Nehemiah lessons in spiritual warfare, first of all, we're looking at the, the historical background. And as I have in your notes there, and you have this for yourself, that Israel was in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. You know, have, have any of you... Do you, any of you parents, or, or maybe any of you that aren't parents, have you either, ever used or seen or been a part of timeout? Do you know what timeout is? Is, is that a phrase that's used and all? And uh, how many of you like timeout? You know, I don't think my grandkids like it at all. You know, and, then, and the funny thing about it is if you're in timeout, time goes, gets longer. You know, it's like, isn't, it, isn't, isn't the 15 minutes up? No, there's two minutes up, you know, or whatever else of that. Well, as, as we look at the, the children of Israel and what they're dealing with, they've been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. 70 years. That's a long time. A long time of where they're, they're waiting and they're crying out to God for his deliverances, his purpose, his help, and, and they're just, there's brokenness and weep. But you have to understand the reason that they're in this condition is not because God didn't love them or God didn't care for them or God was angry with them or anything like that. But it was because of their sin. 
And sin literally is missing the mark. That's kind of an easy definition of sin. Sin is missing the mark. It's that we, we miss the bullseye, or more than the bullseye, we miss the whole target in that. And the children of Israel were constantly doing that. They were, there was a cycle in the children of Israel as they would, they would endeavor to press into the Lord and to obey the Lord and do what the Lord said, or they said they would do it, and then they would quickly fall away and begin to get back and worship idols and, and all the other things that are involved in that. And so because of sin, they would find themselves in captivity, and this is what they did in Babylon for 70 years. As a matter of fact, this was not just 70 years, but there was a, there was a spiritual cycle that they went through for hundreds of years, so just over and over. They would go through a cycle of where the Lord would, would bring discipline, he would bring correction. It was all in the name of love. It was all in the name of, of restoration. It was all in the name of growing them up and, and fulfilling their purposes. You know, sometimes we'll cry out to God and in a brave moment, and we'll just say, oh God, whatever it takes, just, you know, create in me a clean heart. That's a good prayer, right? Well, how does the Lord create a clean heart? See, he turns the light on. What do you see when the light comes on? It's, it's dirty in there. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's, when the light comes on, the light, you know, it, it causes the darkness to go, but it also shows what's there. And so there's a cycle that the children of Israel went through just over and over and over hundreds of years and different times because of sin they went through this. All right, B, the remnant that returned at the conclusion of the exile, this is what we're going to be looking at, is that, um, and it's interesting because those that returned came because they felt uh, the, the urging of God, the presence of God, the encouragement of God, and they said yes, and they were going to go, and they didn't really know what they were getting into going back and doing this and what it would cost, and that's what the message is going to be about. But there were many that did that. But even in that, that there were many, many more, thousands more, that didn't go and return and come back to this because they were content to just stay in captivity. You know, it's interesting that sometimes we're more content to be in, um, you know, in a place that if we get food and if we get this or we get that, it's, it's all right, you know, it's like... We don't have to do anything. And, and so there were many that chose not to come back when they were given permission and freedom, even by the kings, to come and to return to rebuild the city and everything else that was in there, and the temple and all of that. Some just stayed home because they said, oh, we like it here. We like it here. It's, everything's fine. So we just stay here. So we, we see this, that they were content to stay in captivity. And what we have in this and um, this is kind of the last technical part, but just to remind you, see that they're literally, we're looking at three waves or three different times and, and errors that kind of overlap in each other um, that we see this take place. In 539 B.C., Zerubbabel, um, we see this is the rebuilding of the temple. And I just wanted to read to you just a little bit from Haggai, just to tell you, show you about that. You can look at it if you want to. But in the book of Haggai, this is when the Lord came to Haggai, and the Lord spoke to him um, and, and showed him the heart of the Lord and the purpose of the Lord, and he pointed out to him that what they were doing was literally excluding what God's call was for them to do, and that was to go back and to take care of the temple. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of uh, Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedek, however that's pronounced, the high priest. And the Lord Almighty says, These people say the time has not yet come to build the house of the Lord. 
So in other words, the Lord had spoken through the prophets and said it's time to rebuild. It's time to, to, to come out of exile. It's time to come into the purposes of God, the timing of God, the anointing of God, the provision of God. That's what they were doing, but the people were like, no, that's, this is not the time. This is not the right. You know, we're, we're comfortable here. Everything's okay here. It's not time to build the Lord's house. So the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you to yourselves to be living in paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? In other words, what he's saying, he says, you're putting all of your time, your energy, and your money into providing for your own wants, your own desires, your own needs, your own living. And you're neglecting the temple of God. And the temple of God was more than just stone and mortar. It was more than that. The temple of God represented and housed the presence of God. And what they were saying is, you're happier and you're content to just live in your house, but in doing so, you have chosen to not live in the house of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. And it says, give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but harvested little. Ever done that? Maybe it's not spe specifically planting and all, but where you're, you're sowing for the Lord or doing things for the Lord and say, oh God, I've done so much, and it's like, but nothing happened. There wasn't anything from it. There wasn't fruit there. What was the problem? It says you eat, but you never have enough. Well, that could, that could apply a lot of ways. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Scripture can sometimes be very practical. This is what the Lord says. The Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I might take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see it turn out to be a little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord? Because of my house, which remains in ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of this, the heavens have withheld their dew, the earth its crops. I've called for a drought in the fields, the mountains, the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. And so this was the word of the Lord. It's like, it's time to quit, to quit being focused upon yourself and your needs and your wants and your desires. Because the Lord wants to bring us into a place that isn't just that. And as we'll look through, the, through Nehemiah, it isn't just earth and stone and that sort of thing. But the Lord was trying to bring us into the temple and the tabernacle of his presence. And so much of scripture is given to us in typology. And that's really what's at heart here. As we look through this and we go through this, we see that. And so we see here that he raises up Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, um, as we see here, his call was to rebuild the temple. That was, was the kind of a call that was there. And it, and it overlapped also in 458 B.C. with Ezra, who was called to rebuild the people, and 445 B.C., Nehemiah, who was called to rebuild the walls. Okay, so let's just go, and we're just going to work our way through and... It's beginning in chapter 1 and 2. This is Roman numeral 2, the introduction there. But we're just going to talk a little bit about this, about how the Lord opened the doors for this and for the children of Israel to come back and, and to build a temple and everything that was involved in that. And um, so Nehemiah's prayer. This is Nehemiah chapter 1. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susan, Hananiah, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So these brothers had gone, they, they'd seen what's taking place, and so they're telling him what's, 
what's happening, what it's like for those that are in exile. And it said, those that are in exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. The gates have been burned with fire. And what was Nehemiah's response? When I heard these things, I sat down and what? He wept. He cried. I mean, how, how long has it been or how often or how not often is it that the Lord will try to show us his heart, try to show us the condition of not only us, but maybe in our families and in our cities and in our nation and in and, and so many ways. And, and our response to it is not crying and weeping and fasting and, oh, God. But our response often is, is just indifference. And then we wonder why we don't experience the healings and the miracles and things like that. Not that we have to earn them. We could never earn them. But again, what the Lord is looking at is our hearts. And that's what he was looking at with his people. And when he had Nehemiah here, is that we had someone whose heart was moved by God. And it says, I heard these things. I sat down and I wept. And I, for days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before God of heaven. And he goes and there's a prayer that he does. And he cried. You can read this that goes on from there, and he's crying out to God and, and asking for his, for his wisdom and his blessing. And, and, and he literally decides he wants to go to the king, and he wants to ask the king for a request. Um, he was a cupbearer. We see this in the start of chapter 2, right before that. He was a cupbearer to the king, you know, that, that was his job, was, helping, was, was serving that uh, to the king. And so he was in a place of close proximity to the king, but it was a very important position. But for him to ask um, to, for the permission to leave and to go and, and to, to no longer be there, this was a dangerous thing. Because in this time, I suppose, kind of like politicians today, you know, the politicians, the, the leaders of that day, they could be moody. They could do irrational things. And for him even requesting this could have caused great anger with the king, and it could have even been a threat to his life. But he was so moved by the Holy Spirit and the, and the call of God that came upon him to restore and to rebuild the presence and the promises in the house of God that he was willing to take that risk. As you'll see as we go through this today, that he was willing to take risk after risk after risk. And he also had in him an ability to tune in what the Lord was saying and what the Lord wanted because there were those that were trying to trick him. And, and we'll, we'll just kind of go through that as, as we look at that. So we see this in Nehemiah hears and understands the condition of God's people, and he goes to prayer, and he begins to confess his sins. He identifies himself with those people. And, and for this, this reminds me of, of a passage that most of you could, um, or many of you could certainly quote or remember part of and, and, and be very um, aware of this one. And this is one that's in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. And this is when that we have the... Um, the building of the temple, and all that is involved in that, and um, of where the Lord promises them, you know, that, that if they'll call upon him and call upon his name, that the Lord will hear from heaven, he'll forgive their sins, and, and, and basically he's going to grant the, the needs and the calls of what they need, what, they, what they're crying for the Lord for in that. And the whole purpose of that came initially when the temple was built, and that was the cry when the temple was built, crying to the Lord, saying, Lord, you know, if you, you know, I'm building this, I'm dedicating it for you uh, and giving it to you. And when we pray, we're going to look towards it. And when we do hear our prayer, answer our prayer. And so that was the promise. That's what we had that. 
And that's what we see Nehemiah doing again and again. It's going and praying, and not only praying, but also confessing his sins, his own sins, and, and dealing with that. And uh, as he sought the order of the king for his blessing and his provision. And the king not only gave his blessing, he gave him provision to go and to do this and to be involved in that. Okay, when he came and, and began to do that, um, let's go ahead and look at chapter 1 and 2. Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2. Again, go back to there. And let's just start in um, chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I hadn't been sad in his presence before. So the king says, why are you sad? Why are you, are you ill? And he said, no, it's just sadness of heart. Um, he said, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. You know, how can I be anything but sad when I found out that my city where my ancestors were is, is, is lying in ruins and its gates are broken, it's destroyed by fire. And so the king says, what do you want? That's amazing there. You know, it's interesting because a lot of times I feel like that if we had ears to hear, the Lord would be saying to us individually, as singles, as families, and as a church, and as the body of Christ, I think the Lord is saying to us, what do you want? You know, and we're like, well, let's say it's Christmas time. I want a new guitar. I want this. I want that and all. And, that, you know, that's not bad things necessarily, although I, I, I don't imagine I'll ever want another guitar. But um, the, there's things that we focus on there. But what his focus was wasn't for himself. It was for people. And it was for the heart of God and for the purpose of God. That was his cry. He says, he says you know, why should my face not look sad when my ancestors are... Where the city where my ancestors were buried lies in ruins and its gates are destroyed by fire and says what do you want and he says he said he prayed real quick oh god oh god oh god that was john wimmer's favorite prayer oh god oh god oh god it works really well okay especially if you're asked someone to pray for ask you to come pray for them and you look and you realize that it's not just that they have a little temperature but they need a real healing or a real miracle that's when you say under your breath, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, it's you, it's you, it's you, you know, and you pray because it's not us, it's the Lord, it's the presence of the Lord. So he prayed and he answered the king, he said, if it pleases the king and your servants found favor, then send me to the city of Judah where my ancestors are so I can rebuild it. And he says, well, how long is it going to take? And so he gives him a time frame and he says, oh, would you send letters to the governors there and t so we can have safe conduct and... So he does that, sends the letters and that sort of thing. And in the whole time of it, he just says the gracious hand of the Lord, not, not the king, but the gracious hand of the Lord was upon him. And we see this as he's doing this and as he's going after his heart for the Lord to, to follow what the Lord has for him in that. And we see that in there. But we also start seeing in this process is that there's opposition, there's attack. You know, I don't, you've probably experienced this, that if you start doing something for the Lord, and stepping out, especially in new areas or areas there's been great anointing or great, um, great things have happened and the Lord has maybe used or you've been a part of that. You know, it's like, it's like that sometimes we go, you know, forward and back, forward and back. It's just like that there's that encounter that goes that and the warfare that comes in that because the enemy doesn't want us to rebuild the temple. What is the temple speaking of if we think of it spiritually? The temple is the presence of God. And our enemy... Satan and all of his demons and all, all of that will do, and even just religion, will do everything it can to keep us from building and embracing and being a part 
of the body of Christ and, and, the, and the temple of his people. That's what the Lord is after in that. And so there, it's not surprising. And this just gives us examples of how that took place. And so he goes there. We see that he goes there, and he's, he's doing different areas of, of uh, preparation and looking at the city and, and different things such as that. It's involved in that. In chapter 4, let's go there, and then we'll come back. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I think that's what's on your note there. They've started building. They're restoring the wall and different things, and we'll jump back and forth in these. But as they're doing that, Sanballat, who was one of the leaders of that day, who had been one of the guys in charge, he and some others, and they had some corruption going on and other things, when they start seeing this, they get angry. They get upset. And we shouldn't be surprised when God starts doing something in us and through us, whether it's individually or corporately or as a body of Christ, we shouldn't be surprised when there's opposition. We shouldn't be surprised that we're living in a nation right now that instead that no longer embraces the Lord and the, and, and, and the scripture and, and the body of Christ. If anything, it's a pushback that's coming against us. And you don't have to be prophetic to know that that's only going to get worse unless the grace of God comes incredibly in that because the, the opposition that's there. And so one of the reasons I gave this was just even though this was thousands of years ago, that this is very culture current for where we are right now. And we have to understand that there's decisions we have to make and, and areas we have to go to understand and to, re- to receive and walk in God's promises for these in that. And that people are going to ridicule, people are going to attack, people are going to bring scorn in this whole process. So it says when Sanballat, and this is one of the guys that was kind of a governor there and been, been in charge and all that, heard we were re- rebuilding the wall, he became angry and greatly incensed. And so the first thing he started doing was he ridiculed the Jews. He started ridiculing them. In the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble? And to understand, these would have been powerful words because when, when, you know, when Nehemiah got, or when, when we have here, he gets the group and he brings them there, you know, and this is your new home, and they come and they see just piles of rubble everywhere, and it doesn't look like a temple, it doesn't look like anything. You know, how do you think they felt? And so what the enemy here was doing, the same thing that our enemy of our souls would do, is he picks out areas he knows are vulnerable and that were, that were easily accessed, and he attacks those areas. So we see this here. He begins to, to ridicule the Jews and in front of others and saying, you know, they can't do this. They can't offer sacrifices. They can't finish this quickly. They can't bring these stones back to life because they're just heaps of rubble, you know, burned as they are. And Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they're building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Now, either that's a really big fox or this is an exaggeration, but what he's saying is, you know, that that even if a fox walks across it, this, this, and the whole purpose of building a wall is for what? Protection, you know, for, for laying out the city and protection where people can live in a place of safety. And he's like, this isn't a place of safety. Just a fox walking by could knock everything down you've done. And so there was the mocking that was there. And what was Nehemiah's response? Chapter 4, 4. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. You know, I think that's a really good prayer for us 
individually, in families, and as the body of Christ, uh, in, in our cities, in our homes, in, in our neighborhoods, and in our nation, that's a good thing to cry out to God. Say, God, hear us. We are despised. Not the woe is me type thing. But Lord, we're just reminding you that this is what the enemy is doing. This is his purpose. And we need your help. We need your presence. We need your wisdom. We need your anointing. We need you to help us do what you've called us to do in that. And so, and so we see that, that they, they're, they're being mocked. They're, they're being um, um, attacked, first of all, verbally, even by this thing of a, of a fox. So they cry out to God and they said, give, give us plunder, uh, give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So here's the response. After they prayed and after they set their course of what they were going to do, it says, verse 6, So we rebuilt the wall till it reached the half of its height, for the people worked with all of their heart. What happened there? They moved from discouragement. They moved from despair. They moved from, from, from great fear. They moved into faith. And when they moved into faith, even though the enemy was throwing all these lies and taunts out, they, they suddenly caught faith. And when they caught faith, faith gave them energy and vision and vitality to tackle the task. And that was to pick up those, those, those heavy stones and to move them and to begin to rebuild and to build the wall and everything else they were called. They began to do that. And so they're, they're doing that. They're working. And they're, and, and, but as they're, as they're going and, and doing that, Mocking has worked before, so the enemy comes to mock again. Did you know that when we give the enemy an inroads into our heart and lives, and it's been successful, he will keep testing us there until we prove to him that that is not a place that he, can, that he has ability to come in or attack, whether it's fear or anxiety or this or anger, or all these other things. We just need to use, when the enemy attacks us in an area, we feel that it that it's, has some effectiveness. We need to ask God to set us free in that area so that the next time that comes, it has no impact. It has no access. It has no place in us, okay? And so, again, this is just from a practical little book here. All right, and so they're upset, and, and they're beginning to get afraid again. But it says, we prayed our God and posted a guard at night to meet this threat. And then the people start saying, oh, we're getting so tired. We're getting so worn. The people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble, we cannot build the wall. You know, they, they, what happened? They physically, they emotionally and spiritually had ups and downs, but they physically were getting tired. They were getting worn out. And it wasn't that they were just having difficulty trying to rebuild, but there was so much rubble, there was so much debris from the past that was there that just dealing with it was wearing them out. You know, one of the things that keeps us from accomplishing the purpose of God is all those areas of debris that we've gathered allowed into our heart and life, and we're trying to pull them around. And we just have to understand we need to take the tenacity and whatever it takes to get the debris away, because when the debris is away, then we can accomplish the purposes of God. And that very, very important that we realize that, that we understand that. Okay, and then let's go on down from there. In um, chapter 4 and verse 7, we saw that already. We saw the Samballot, Tobiah, and different ones that came and plotted against them and uh, all that took place there. Okay, so let's, let's go down to C, craft. Chapter 6 and verse 1.
craft, 1 through 19. And so they're building and they're making more and more accomplishments and the walls are coming up and things are starting to come together. And there's been many attacks in many ways that, that these other leaders have tried to, to attack Nehemiah and attack the people and so forth. And so here we see that they try another thing, and this is what I have in your notes that are written down as craft. All right, first of all, verses 1 through 4, and this is um, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, it's craft by pretense. It says, the word came, when the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message, come let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Now the first thing is, and this is just silly, but the first thing is, if someone tries you to go to a place called Ono, you probably shouldn't go there, right? <laughs> this is not Hebrew, and I wouldn't sound anything like that, but I've always thought that was kind of funny. You know, so they said, oh, we need to come gather. We need, we need to talk. We need to powwow. We need, we need to come. But they were scheming to harm him. They were scheming to harm him. So this was the response that we have. He responded to him and said, he sent messengers and said, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. What he's saying, just think of this. We are carrying on a great project, and that is the, build, the release and the building of the kingdom of God in our hearts and in our families and in our homes and our streets and our, our cities and our nation. That is God's purpose for us, and we need to be so passionate and wrapped up in that that even when people say things about us, because when people say things that are wrong about us, what is... I'll just say, what is our first, what is many of us, our first reaction is defense, right? That's not true. That's not true. And then, you know, then we start crying like a baby or something. It's like we just, we get upset at that. But instead, they, they hear, they, they just meet it right on. And we see that, that even though they're trying to catch him in this, that he will not do that. He will not um, step down to that area uh, of doing what they want. It says that, he says, I'm carrying on a great project, cannot go down. Why should the work stop when I leave and go down to you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Verse 5, the fifth time, Samballot sent his aid to me with the same message. In his hand was an unsealed letter, which is written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says that it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to the reports, you're about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make the proclamation about you in Jerusalem. That's where they were rebuilding, was in Jerusalem. It says, there's a king in Judah. That's what they're supposedly going to make this, this, this um, speech that they were going to make about that. And here again, the response that he says that, that Nehemiah sends to him is this. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. In other words, you know, this is just not true. It's just not true. He didn't try to go any further than that. It says they were trying, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and will not be completed. But I prayed, strengthen my hands. That's a good thing. If you're trying to serve the Lord and there's a difficulty or fear or anxiety or something comes up, just step back and say, Lord, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my resolve. Strengthen my heart. Strengthen my purpose, my understanding. Give me wisdom to do what you've called me to do, you know, as a pastor, individually, as churches. 
as the body of Christ in that. Do that. Call that. Strengthen that. You know, have you noticed how many times the response of Nehemiah is prayer? And he never in his prayer is just moaning and groaning to God about it's not fair and it's too hard and, and everything else and my wife's upset or, or anything. <laughs> it's like, no, he just he stays focused. And when, when difficulty comes or craft comes, attack comes, he goes to the Lord, he prays the Lord, he cries the Lord. And I love this. He goes on and says, One day, verse 10, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Metabel, who was shut in his home. And he said, Let us meet in the house of God inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. Now, this is interesting here. What are they asking him to do? They're asking him to go into the temple. Is he a priest? Well, I'll just tell you, he's not the priest. That wasn't his role. His role was to build. His role was to gather. His role was to, to govern. But he, his goal was not the role of a priest. And in the Bible, you see very clear roles of what purpose is there. And so when they're asking him to go into the temple, they're asking him to do that. And, and, and we'll see this other part here. They're asking him to do that so that he will, as it were, fall out of line with, it, with, with the Lord and what the Lord is trying to say to him. And so he says, um, you know, let's go in the house of God and close the temple because men are coming to kill you. They, by night they're coming to kill you. And he said, should a man like me run away? Should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realize that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Can you, can you believe this? You know, that there were prophets for hire? You know, I've... Uh, talked to some friends and seen this sometimes online and stuff um, and, and I'm not really excited about it at all but there's places that you can, I'm sure you can go online you can find if you need a prophetic word for $10 or $15 or if you need a really big word you know they raise it literally there's words for hire online from supposedly prophetic people and that if you'll do that and you'll send them the money then they'll send you your prophecy and guys that's not how it works that's just, I mean, I'm not trying to judge, but that's just not the heart of God. You know, what did, what did we saw this when we were looking um, at, at the birth of Jesus and everything. When they came to the temple, when Jesus came to the temple and he saw the money changers there and everything else, what did he do? Did he say, oh, bless you guys for taking care of all this all this time? Man, he grabbed the tables and he threw them upside down. He got a whip. Yeah, Jesus, meek and mild, got a whip, drove them out. And said, you have taken the house of God and turned it from a place of worship to a place of merchants. And, it's, and that scripture says, zeal for the house of the Lord consumed him. And that's what we have with Nehemiah. And guys, that's what I want with us. I want us to be consumed with zeal for the house of the Lord. I'm not just talking about our church. I'm talking about the body of Christ and about impact in our cities and impact in our state and our nation. Guys, we need to cry out to the Lord for our nation because it is sliding so fast that the only peace is this peace in the Lord to know that, that God can change it all. God can change it all. Okay, let's work, it, work, work our way on through this here. So we see there's, as we said, uh, craft was treachery, you know, whereas hired prophets to spread lies. And then verses 17 through 19, you can read these. There were cliques of the compromised brothers that came the sons-in-laws that were involved in doing things they shouldn't be doing there. All right, then Roman numeral number four, and we'll wrap this up in just a minute. 
Then there was also Hebrews, <laughs> Hebrews, there was also hindrances from within. And, and we've looked at this before, but we'll just refer it here. There was the attack of the enemy through our own weaknesses. You know, it's hard sometimes to carry out what God wants for, for you if you're tired, if you're fatigued, if you're worn down, if you're discouraged, if you're disappointed. You know, in those, it just, we, we, we again can focus on those things and it can just wear us out. It can totally wear us out in that. And so we, we have to deal with that. We have to understand the hindrances from within. They attack the enemy through their own weaknesses. And specifically here, there was the whole debris. Remember when they were building? And, and, and as they're built halfway up and doing great, what happened? They got tired. They got worn out. They were, they were discouraged. And, and just it, it was just all they could take. And so they quit working. And, and we saw that on that part. But here, I wrote this down. The rubble of the past must be removed before we can be built. That's individually as a church, like it's from the Lord. The rubble of the past, the rubble of our past, whether it's recent or a little while back or long, you know, a lot of times our biggest hurts that hold us back are things that may have happened 20, 30, 40 years ago. But we haven't forgotten them. And just one little thing can trigger it, and then it's just like, it goes from light to darkness in a you know, and so this is one of the ways. But the, and what they did is when they saw the rubble, they encouraged the workers because the workers were being, were being discouraged, not just because of building the wall, but they were discouraged. There was so much rubble there, so much debris, so much hindrance, so much difficulty, but they pressed through it. They pressed through it. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 verse 8 said this. He said that his accomplishments were just rubble or rubbish. You know, he looked, he did kind of a resume. First he put his resume out, put out all this stuff. This is all the stuff I've accomplished. And in the Jewish realm, that was impressive. But he, then he comes over and he says, but all of that compared to what the Lord has for me. You know, it's just, I'll, I'll use, it's just a stinky, smelly mess. Okay? <laughs> it can be much more vivid in the original language there. But just say, it doesn't matter. It's just a stinky mess. In that, because the Apostle Paul realized everything he valued when he came to see the surpassing greatness of the presence of Jesus. Then he understood what was really important. Really, really important. All right, B, Roman number four, B. In addition to debris, there was fear. As we, we referenced earlier, uh, chapter 4, verse 11 through 14, there was the fear that they had of a surprise attack or an ambush that could come from the enemy. And sometimes that we're so filled with fear, and, and most of the things that we fear or anxious about are things that are never going to bother us. But if we feed them, again, the old thing, we focus on we make room for, we make room for, we empower. And so we, we need to understand that, that when fear comes against us and there's a surprise attack or an ambush or something like that or an accident or disease or other things that happen, you know, in those, I've given you these, these three things. Remember the Lord. And that's what, what we see from Nehemiah. Remember the Lord. When, when, it's, when it's hard, when it's dark, when it's difficult, remember the Lord. Remember the price that he paid on the cross. Remember that the price that he paid throughout his life. Remember the, the price that he paid that, of, of all the way giving himself up to the cross and all that was involved in that. We need to remember that. We need to understand that. You know, because as we said, Paul said the confidence of the past are but rubbish. Hebrews, uh, fear, 
chapter 4, verses 11 through 14 of Nehemiah. The fear, surprise, ambush of the enemy, accident, disease, we already saw those. Remember the Lord, reflect on the issues. That's what Nehemiah said to him. He says, okay, we're being challenged, we're being attacked, we're being threatened. First thing we want you to do is remember the Lord. Remember who's the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. Remember that. Secondly, reflect on the issues. Okay? And what, what this would have been for Nehemiah is basically everything is at stake. For them in the rebuilding of the temple and rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem and, and getting everything ready for that, it was saying everything's on the line right now. It rises or falls according to how we respond now. And that's what we see in the, in the natural we see from that and we can own our own lives as well. Reflect on the issues. You know, everything was at stake. But, but we have to understand in that that one of the great things that we can, can remember is that we don't serve a wimpy God. We don't serve a God who has a migraine or a headache or is too busy or is on vacation or whatever else. He's always there. So we're called to be armed in readiness. There was, that was the example that what they did in building was it was a real thing that they could be attacked. So you had, you know, one person had the shovel and another person had the sword. Maybe another one had a bow or the arrow or what different things, but they, they were ready to fight and they were ready to build. And they were doing that. And so they were very practical. And we need to think the body of Christ needs to be practical as well. And then greed, chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. Um, there was again an accusation that came that he wasn't providing. But what we see there is that Nehemiah, one of his great hearts, was he took care of the poor. That was his heart. That was his desire to take care, to take care of the poor in that. So just wrapping this up, application for today. It's for us individually. It's for us corporately. You know, it's that, that God is, is showing us through this example that even though it's difficult, even though that we get discouraged and we don't understand, that in the midst of that, that if we will press through, just like happened here, the wall will get built, the temple will get built, and in that, the presence of God, the anointing of God, and the purpose of God can take place. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, for Nehemiah and for these men and these women and that, Lord, risked everything in the natural, went through incredible hardships and attack and, and, and threats. But, Lord, they chose to focus upon you and your word and the words of their leaders. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would release to us that tenacity for your presence, that tenacity for seeing your kingdom come and for your purposes come and for the anointing to come and fall. Oh, Lord Jesus, we just pray that, that, that as we close this year and we go into next year, that, Lord, we will see the advance of the kingdom of God and that you will release in our midst and our families and as singles and others, that you will release a joy and a challenge and, and release that we've never experienced before. And it won't just be for us. It'll be for us to be equipped to build and to give away what you've given us. We bless you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.